Get it in here. I got one thing to say. This is when the big dogs come out. Stay on the okay? You can't roll with the big dogs. Stay on the board. Let's rock this place. Let's have some fun. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance tonight. Diagnosis, prognosis, osmosis. Say what? It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us. Middle of the work week. We're halfway home if you're looking forward to the weekend, right? T.C. Martin, Ballpark, VGK Frank in the house. Numchuck on the other side of the glass. Yes, the team in place here today. And uh, good member of the team. Steve Berline will join us a little bit later on today, too. So hang tight for that. The former quarterback, 17-year veteran, and fresh off his trip to Las Vegas last weekend, We'll touch on that, and plus we'll start diving into the NFL Draft. We are eight days away from that, and we'll uh, hit that heavy next week. But uh, we'll be touching upon the quarterbacks today with Steve Berline from CBS Sports. He knows a little bit of something about that. He does. That's why I like to dive in, especially with this quarterback class. They're saying there could be six quarterbacks in the first round. I'm not really buying all that, but very deep class. We'll talk to Berline about that. And another guy who... I guess thinks he's on the team is our good friend from Tampa, T.J. Reeves. Drive-through ta- king. Yes. <laughs> should we take a vote for uh, T.J. Reeves? Uh, should we should we call him a teammate, or is he still trying to work his way up from the minors? What do you think? It sounds like you got him on a taxi squad. <laughs> <laughs> taxi, different sport, but I like where you're going with that, you know? There you go. Minor league, taxi squad, squad. taxi squad. That's good. He's, he's the Rudy of the show. Yeah, right. He is. <laughs> he is. I don't know. What's your vote, up, Chuck? What do you think? <laughs> wow. Harsh. You don't think TJ brings it on the show? Yeah. Yeah, he does bring it on the show. Okay. There you go. And, and he's not just football. I mean, he can talk to Tampa Bay Lightning. He yeah. talks about the Rays. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he you know. I mean, he, he's all things Tampa Bay. He's like the spring practice facility. <laughs> See, there you go. The spring practice facility. See, he fell into just the perfect spot for us, didn't he? Because we met him when Tampa was just going crazy, going bonkers with, you know, Before the they were Tampa Bay, but working their way towards it. Exactly. Yeah. So then, you know, okay. And then Tom Brady fell in the lap of the Buccaneers. Okay, well, let's, let's reach out to this guy. But we do got to give this guy some credit, though, because he did introduce us to Paul Buckpower Stewart. There you go. And people are going, who's that clown? Well, <laughs> he's our guy from England. That guy's entertaining. Yeah. That's good to have him on. The, the English guy that likes Bud Lights and, uh, <laughs> and American football, not soccer. Yes. <laughs> and probably knows uh, almost as much about Monty Python as you or I. So, especially you, because you can quote it with the best of them. I, I'm a big Python fan. There you go. All right. So, yeah, a lot to uh, hit on uh, today. We'll also talk Vegas Golden Knights. I know our good friend Brian B- Blessing, Stevie Slapshot, Cam Bulky, uh, they were in here talking about the Robin Leonard press conference. Actually, it was the Golden Knights press conference earlier today, and Robin Leonard maybe hijacked that a little bit. I mean, of course, he was coming on to, to talk about uh, his great performance, you know, Monday night. You know, uh, and he's not shootout. expected to get the start tonight, so he's got a little bit more time in that. But yeah, yeah kind of went off on a uh, 
Well, in the wrestling business, they'd call it a shoot interview. Correct, Mundo. All of a sudden, he just yeah. kind of had some stuff on his mind, and he let it out there. Yeah, yeah. So Robin Leonard talking about uh, COVID protocols, not happy about it. We have some audio we will play for you uh, from that Zoom press conference today, and we'll have some, some thoughts on that as well, too. So hang tight for all that. So a lot to do. Uh, busy show, of course, here today. All right. Uh, want to start talking about obviously the the verdict that most people just about everybody's familiar with uh, uh Derek Chevon the who the police officer that killed George Floyd last year the verdict was in in uh, Minneapolis uh, yesterday found guilty on all counts uh many people happy and rejoicing about that and of course people taking to social media with that as well too so our very own Raiders owner Mark Davis uh, sent out a tweet uh, along with the Raiders, and his tweet read, I can breathe for 2021. Now, this tweet has caused a big backlash, a lot of controversy for something that Mark Davis felt that he was making a very positive statement here. So the phrase, I can breathe, which he tweeted out was used by supporters of police back in New York City, if you remember the case with uh, Eric Garner back in 2014, where t-shirts were printed and worn by New York City police officers. Mark Davis was not aware of this when he was questioned by a reporter about this, like, why did you say this? And then this thing went viral uh, on Twitter earlier this morning. And uh, Mark Davis said, hey, I I wasn't aware of of that, wasn't aware of the history. And basically, Mark Davis just meant this in the light like, hey, uh, this man was found guilty. This police officer was found guilty. And Mark Davis said, I meant no disrespect to the Floyd family with the tweet. He said he took the lead from uh, George Floyd's brother, who said after the verdict, today we are able to breathe again. He said he had no idea of the history of how it was used back in 2014. Now, just to put this in context, if you're not familiar with what happened in July of 2014, Garner, uh, Eric Garner, uh, died as a result of police officers that Daniel Ponatello placing him in a chokehold. And his dying words, I can't breathe, became a rallying cry for protesters around New York City calling for an end to police killings of black people. Now, in early December uh, 2014, a grand jury found no reasonable cause to bring charges against Panatello, triggering the protest. In July of 2019, the case against Panatello was dropped, and a month later, Panatello was fired from the New York City Police Department. Now, going back to 2014, about 100 people gathered outside of New York City Hall in support of the NYPD back on December the 19th, and it was a pro-NYPD gathering organized by a group, um, and it was called Thank NYPD. And they faced off around 200 counter-protesters demonstrating against police brutality on that day. Now, at the demonstration, the pro-NYPD protesters chanted, Don't Resist Arrest, when the anti-police brutality demonstrators chanted, I can breathe, and then there were T-shirts out there that said, I can breathe. So, again, Mark Davis wrote, I can breathe today, not knowing anything about that. And for people that don't believe that or think this 
he, he's ignorant with that. There's a lot of people that, you know, again, this was seven years ago. A lot of people do not remember that. And again, if you're in New York City, you may remember that and seeing the T-shirts. But I think there is a good, uh, you know, amount of the population, especially here in Vegas, that, that don't remember that. And again, you know, that, that was one of those cases. It did not get the publicity that George Floyd has gotten. And the other cases that we've seen, you know, in, in Ferguson, Missouri. And so Mark Davis said he meant no disrespect to this. But see, this is the problem with Twitter. Because you're limited in what you can say. Your message cannot get totally across with only a limited number of characters that you can you can print, a lot of people misconstrue a lot of things. And again, big problem with social media and specifically Twitter, when you just leave that out there, I can breathe for 2021. Certain people will take it one way, other people will take it another way. Now, George Floyd's brother wrote this today. He goes, on behalf of our family, I'd like to extend our deepest gratitude to the Las Vegas Raiders organization and its leadership for their support of our family and our nation's ongoing pursuit of justice and equality for all. Now more than ever, we must come together as one and continue in on this fight. For the first time in almost a year, our family has taken a breath, and I know that goes for so many across the nation and globe as well. Let's take this breath together in honor of my big brother who couldn't Let's do it for joy for George. Classy from George Floyd's brother to come out and say that, realizing that Mark Davis meant no disrespect at all here. Well, not only didn't he mean any disrespect by it, but Mark Davis himself said, quote, I was driving home from a meeting when the verdict came in. Soon after, I was listening to George Floyd's brother. And he said, today we are able to breathe again. I took my lead from him. In my mind, that was all I needed to say. I can breathe. I actually saw that press conference where George Floyd's brother said that. So he was just quoting him. But again, like you said, social media and that, people are going to say it. Twitter blew up about it. Uh, over 7,000 people complained about it on Twitter. One, one uh, tweet said, this is the worst tweet I've ever seen. And a bad tweet that was Hall of Fame worthy for being a bad tweet. But again, put it in its context, know what you're talking about. I give Mark Davis credit for coming out there and saying this was mine because originally they were calling out the Raider organization, wondering who was in charge of their media account and that, and he said, no, it was me. I'm sorry if I offended anybody. But again, you have to know what it's all about. And he was literally almost quoting. Now, in hindsight, should he maybe have said something like, as George Floyd's brother just said, we can all breathe again? Maybe that would have been better. But he was trying to make a simple statement. I can breathe. But it's taken out of context because that's what social media does. And like you said, you don't know how it, how anything plays out or how people can screw it or how people read it. Because, you know, the old thing of is it last half full or is it half empty? Mm. Well, a lot of people are going to try to look at something positive, especially on social media. A lot of people are going to immediately go to the negative aspects of it. And that's exactly what we had here. He was trying to do a positive statement that blew up in his face. Absolutely. Okay. And, again, this is what he's saying. And when you have the Floyd family coming to the defense and actually acknowledging what Mark Davis said. Yeah, he, quote, he, he quoted them. It should, that should be the end of it. But, again, 
Social media, it does. It drives me nuts. There's it's a, haterade. It, I've said yes. it for years and years. It is haterade. There's a purpose. There's a place for it. But people get too, you know, they, they, they take it too far with it. Again, and as we know, you know, the people that really think that they matter because they have two million followers, et cetera, et cetera, the Jake Pauls of the world and all these other ham and eggers that do this. It's just, it, it's, it's their life. And again, there's a time and there's a place for it, but don't just vilify a man when you don't know the man or you don't know exactly what the context is just because you see three words on there and say, oh, wow, I'm going to go blast this guy. Let's take this thing viral. And it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It is so ridiculous that when you feel that you've got to speak out, you think that you're in a man's mind, and again, when you are on a national platform, like ESPN or something else. We're going to play some audio from Keyshawn Johnson today. Okay, yes, Keyshawn Johnson, he's black. He's an athlete. A lot of athletes, uh, you know, obviously have come to the, uh, the, the defense of, of George Floyd. Anyone who's been attacked, rightfully so, we get that. Uh, sports has been integrated and involved in all of these decisions. You, you know, they want to talk about what did the Vikings say? What did the Timberwolves say? What did the Twins say? Because it's Minneapolis, and they're looking for statements from anybody and everybody. Which and even that kind of stuff to me is crazy. Because it just because one person tweets something out doesn't mean that everybody in that organization feels that way. Right. But I'm saying when that verdict came out, you saw. All the different media outlets wanting to go, hey, from a sports perspective, let's talk to somebody from the Timberwolves. Let's talk to Carl Anthony Towns. Let's, let's, uh, let's talk to somebody from uh, the, the Twins or the Vikings. And a lot of people don't want to talk about it. They, they just don't, you know, it doesn't mean they're, they're not happy about it. But then when you don't talk about it, it's like, oh, what, people in Minnesota don't care? I mean, everything is construed in a certain way. Well, it's the old LeBron James versus Michael Jordan type of scenario. LeBron James is very outspoken and talks about everything. Michael Jordan said, Republicans and Democrats both buy my shoes. I ain't talking about nothing. Right. I'll talk about Gatorade. Yes. And (laughs) and he gets hatred for that, which is ridiculous. Absolutely. Right, right. You can't win in social media. So here is what Keyshawn Johnson had to say earlier today. It first came across uh, to me, I had to, it took me a minute to, to kind of decipher the meaning. Like, what, what are you saying? Like, what are you trying to say, Mark Davis? And then I said to myself, okay, let me give him the benefit of the doubt because he can't be that stupid. And he's, he, but it was tone deaf at the, the timing. Yeah. The timing of it. Is, is not, I, I kind of understand what he was saying, but you could have taken the quote from George's brother, from mm-hmm. Floyd's brother, and just used that quote and you wouldn't even have these issues. Mm-hmm. Or elaborate on, I can't breathe. Elaborate, what do you mean? Tell us more about that. And, and he didn't do it, and so, therefore, he got the backlash from it. Especially coming from somebody in a league that really hasn't been out front with the injustice that was going on. They've been pushed it's, in that direction. Yeah, you know, you kind of been pushed in that direction. So the moment we see that from an NFL owner, like, wait a minute, man, what the hell are you doing? Keyshawn Johnson speaking there. And again, what, what I said to start this, on Twitter you can't elaborate. And Keyshawn saying, well, what does that mean, this and that? Th- there it is. I mean, you can't elaborate. You can't sit there and, and, and write more than, uh, you know, uh, you know, 140 characters on Twitter. And, and even he just acknowledged what George Floyd's brother said. 
So because you're too ignorant to understand that that was the tie-in was, or maybe give him the benefit of the doubt thinking it was that, I'm just going to take a shot at him and say how stupid he is and how ignorant he is and how he's not woke and I'm cool and I'm everything else and this guy's a piece of garbage for saying that. You just literally said that you knew where the quote and the idea came from and you're still ripping him for it, for trying to bring people together and bring unity. Calling him stupid. Ridiculous. And again, Mark Davis was showing support here. And so I'm going to go to the other side here. It's nice. And I don't know any other owner that went out of their way to take a stand on this and took a positive stand and saying, hey, justice was served here. It is too man, too bad that a man had to die. I mean, that's the sad part. And not only took a stand, but even after being called out, said, okay, I apologize if I offend anybody, but it's still staying up on my Twitter. I'm not taking it down and avoiding it. I'm still standing by my tweet because I still believe in it. Right, and that's an important part of it here, too, because when he was questioned on it and said, hey, I'm sorry, I did not know the history about 2014 in New York City and those T-shirts and that rallying car. I I did, you know, with those protesters, I did not know that. And the reporter said, well, are you going to take down your tweet now? And he goes, "Well, well, no. He goes, it's... Obviously, it's already out there. And I said what I said. He goes, but no, I'm not going to do it. So that rubbed people the wrong way. But again, he should be actually applauded for an NFL owner to come out and, and, and actually take a stand and basically come out in support. And like Keyshawn Johnson just said, he said, hey, well, the league hasn't gotten in front of it. And that's garbage, too. The league has gotten in front of all these social justice issues now, maybe not as much as maybe some people. Again, it just depends on the individual. It depends on who you talk to. But, you know, I've heard other players and other people of color come out and, and say, hey, you know, that's that, that that was pretty good. That was pretty good for Mark Davis to actually do that, to come out and say that. Okay, maybe he wasn't uh, aware of the history. But, again, not everyone is going to be aware of that history. And probably, especially, a, a white man over 60 that happened seven years ago. Not to make excuses, but... Those are the facts, plain and simple. So, yes, he should be commended for, for stepping out and saying this. Tell me how many other owners from any other sports actually came on out and, and, and made a statement saying, hey, this is great. Let's, let, let's move on. Let's bring some awareness to this. Let's bring some awareness to this man who killed an innocent man and is now convicted, is going to be doing life in prison, maybe even the death penalty. Well, to me, this is really simple. And I know it's not a cut-and-dried, easy situation, but to me it is. Keyshawn Johnson or George Floyd's family who thanked him and commended him for making the statement. In this particular incident, who are you going to believe? You're talking about the wide receiver position and maybe the upcoming draft. Maybe I listen more to Keyshawn. In this particular situation... Think I'm listening to George Floyd's brother. Yeah, totally. It's agree. not even that hard. It, it, exactly. And again, when the family comes to uh, the defense, end of story. Plain and simple. It, it should be a dead issue, and it will continue to linger and linger and linger because of social media. Again, when it, every almost every day we come on and we're talking about something that somebody did or said through social media, and more times than not. They come back and they delete it or they apologize or whatever. 
And again, you've said it many, many times, you know, I mean, people can't think before they hit that send button. Can't do it. Whether it's a text yeah. Yeah. or whether it's a, a tweet or Instagram photo or whatever it is. Facebook post, Twitter, yes. whatever, yeah. yeah. But but here's the difference. Mark Davis not only thought before he hit send, then after hitting send and being called out, he's still standing by it. Mm-hmm. And I that's what I commend him for. He's like, okay, I'm sorry if I offended anybody, and maybe I didn't know about this incident, but I was literally listening to George Ford's brother, and I stand by my tweet. Mm-hmm. I commend him for that. Yeah, I agree. All right. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see uh, where, where this goes. And, uh, and of course, you know, Mark Davis being inundated with, with uh, I'm sure, media requests now. And like, wow, you don't need to talk about this. <laughs> it's like, and no, I, you know, I didn't even think about reaching out or whatever. Because, again, it's like the Al Bernstein situation as well, too. When we go back to that fight. With the that he called on the Jake Paul fiasco the other day, and everybody and their mother is like banging on Al's door, like, "Hey, talk about this, talk about this!" Like, I'm not gonna do that, you know. Again, especially when he comes out and says, "You know, this wasn't my finest moment." Uh, You know, again, now these are totally different different scenarios here, but just put it in in the light where people like to hear from from the person when there's controversy. And I'm a little bit at the other end of that. I'm at the opposite end, okay? Especially if somebody that you know and you know how they're feeling about the situation, you just back off and you, and you don't go there. You don't do interviews just to stir the pot. And there are a lot of people that like to do that. Obviously, there's people that go on social media just to stir the pot. And, and this isn't one of those moments, especially when you're talking about something that still had a tragic end. And really... What is there really to celebrate here? Well, and I think celebrate's the wrong word when you're talking about this case. All right, this police officer deserves to go to jail for basically the rest of his life. And and we are, won't know that till like eight weeks when the judge makes when the sentencing. The se- right, exactly. But, you know, we, we know what the terms, you know, come down here. Anywhere from, from 10 to 30 oh, yeah, years. He's going to be locked up count. for quite right. for quite a while. I, exactly. So I don't even like to use the word celebrate for that. Like, hey, let's celebrate you know, this man, you know, going to jail because there's still a lost life here. Yeah, and, and, that's what, and that's what I think Mark Davis was trying to do as well. He wasn't saying this is something to celebrate. He wasn't saying this is a thing of rejoicing or something like that. He was simply saying, I can breathe. We can all breathe again. In a lot of people's mind, justice was served. We can move forward. There's still work to be done. But at least we can take a collective breath and get the conversations going and other things like that. That's what I read out of that. Not like, oh, he's ripping him. And again, like I say, now maybe I was a beneficiary. When I got home and I turned on the TV and I saw the news and that, I literally saw this story come out right after I had seen George Floyd's brother's press conference. It, it coincided. It was timing. And then what does he say? I was driving home and I heard the press conference. So he literally took it right from that. When you saw the tweet, okay, did, did, did you see his tweet first before all of the, the pushback and the controversy, or was it just you saw the whole story? I, I, I saw recapping. the story kind of in the recapping, okay. but like I say, I literally saw the story right, right after I had right. seen his. Because George I'm, Floyd's I'm wondering, I mean, how many people, when they just saw that, I can breathe for 2021, how's that hit you? And then now, of course, after, you, after hearing everything, Okay, now you look at it, but I'm just I'm just curious if you just saw that, what's your initial take? 
My initial take would have been, I, I'm pretty sure what I just said, I, yeah. that it was anyhow, that right. he was trying to say that we can all take a breath right. again and it wasn't derogatory. But a lot of people, the naysayers and the people that want to cause trouble in that are probably thinking to themselves, mm. oh, right, mm. old, a, a white mm. older billionaire or mm. multimillionaire says something like this and he throws out a tweet. First off, if he was to say something derogatory... I think he's intelligent enough not to tweet that out, considering that he owns an NFL team Absolutely. and a WNBA team and right. is looking to get into other sports as well. That would really put a big disconnect in the locker rooms and on his roster and everything else out there. So if you think he meant that is something negative, then you're basically saying, I think Mark Davis is a complete buffoon, moronic idiot that he would even do something like that. Which Keyshawn Johnson said. But nobody totally wants wrong. to put that in context or nothing right. and think about it. It's low-hanging fruit. Look what he said. Let's just tar and feather him, which was something they did way back in the old colonial days for people that maybe didn't do their history. Pete like Gillen the, would know about like, that. Like the people that don't want to do the check out the history of this here. Right. But it's like... Again, maybe at first you look at it and go, why would you say that? But then if you think about it, and again, maybe it was the wrong way. Maybe he should have said, as George Floyd's brother just said, we can all breathe again. But he didn't. He want, he wanted short, sweet, you know, keep it simple, stupid. And now people are calling him stupid for doing it. When the stupid ones to me are the ones that are trying to think that he meant anything derogatory by this. Yeah. And it's not like Mark Davis has really been in any type of controversy like this before. No, it's not like he's, he's a father. It, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the biggest controversy about Mark Davis is why do you pay for that haircut? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Continually pays for that haircut. It flies to someplace special like in Arizona or something like that, from but, what I understand. But, but bottom line is, I, I can't get mad at the guy. He kept his hair. That's like it. I, you know, it's like you. You kept your hair. This guy's lost her hair, you know. At least, you know, Mark's g gets a funky cut, but at least he's got the hair to cut it. Hey, the bull apparently is a perfect fit on his head. And there he goes. <laughs> yeah. A lot of food comes out of those bowls, man. You know, that's, that's, that's a good sign. Well, hopefully it's washed before they put yeah, it up there. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, they'd have cereal madness on top of his head. <laughs> Speaking of which, Steve Berline is going to join us when we come back. Uh, we'll talk NFL draft. We'll talk about the quarterbacks and uh, – yeah, we'll talk some food. We'll talk some Vegas trip as well, too. All right, let me put some water on your ball. More from the master debater. The doctor, T.C. Martin. You'll never know what comes out of this guy's mouth. All right, we're a week away from the NFL draft. Looking forward to that. And let's uh, bring in our good friend, the quarterback himself, the signal caller, the 17, think about that, 17-year veteran and has done a fantastic job on the analyst side with CBS Sports, Steve Berline. What is going on, my man? Hey, uh, what's, what do you say, TC? I, I'm, uh, I think I'm fully recovered from this past weekend. <laughs> I, I, got some, I got some royal treatment. Uh, in the uh, Las Vegas area, mm -hmm. and uh, man, was it spectacular! So, I owe somebody a big thank you. Well, uh, I appreciate that, my friend. I'm Steve Berline, fresh off his Las Vegas weekend. I can tell you that uh, that included golf, a lot of food, a lot of drinks, and not much sleep. Does that wrap that up? Is that how's that sound? 
Well, you know, I'll I'll admit to three of the four. I, I'm not going to admit to a lot of the drinks, even though that's true. We kind of know that was understood. Yeah, yeah that's no. true. Yes, yeah. not in a bad way so, at all, man. Not at all. But no, no, all all good. Fantastic. It was great. Yeah. So blue ribbon, beauty in Essex, at the Cosmo Hotel. We we uh, we were treated very very well, and I appreciate that. There it is, yeah, Steve Berline in town last weekend. Had a great time. Uh, it, it was great to fi- uh, finally, uh, you know, get you here. I know it's, it's been a while, and uh, yeah, just a fantastic. You talk about Blue Ribbon. Now, can I get a witness? I mean, are you still having dreams about that bucket of chicken at Blue Ribbon? <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I was. It was so, you know, impacted in my mind that <laughs> I, I was not able to leave town without bringing a stash home with me. Whoa! So I, I literally brought two buckets uh, home with me to California. So, is, is that, see, that uh, is a great move right there. That is a fantastic yeah. move. Man, that's yeah. it. Yeah, especially for the seven-hour drive home that we had to deal with <laughs> because uh, so many people were trying to get back to California from Vegas, but that chicken was uh, was absolutely a godsend for the ride home. It was great. Yeah, a, a shout out to everyone in the Cosmopolitan, Blue Ribbon, Double B, oh, our yeah. girl Chachi, Johnny, and and again uh, the the Blue Ribbon. Like I said, Frank Numchuk, that, that's our spot, man. You know, playing simple. Everyone uh, in the Cosmo is our spot. Did, did Double B get him on the pickleball court or no? No, I mean Steve didn't really have much time for pickleball. I'll tell you how much time. Go, go, no. Golf over pickleball. Golf for sure. over pickleball, and and he didn't even finishes yeah. eighteen on the golf because he says, you know what. He goes, I got to get back to some more food and, and some more sunshine and some more pool time, right? <laughs> well, that's because the blue well, ribbon well, gives actually, you wings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, actually, it was it was uh, my girlfriend's uh, birthday weekend, and so I felt that the right thing to do was would be to honor her request. You know, she loves the golf. She was out there golfing with me, but we couldn't give up the whole day to golf. We had to get back to the pool at the Cosmo. Uh, that ended up paying off for me as well. So it was a good decision on my part. Absolutely. And, and, and shout out to our, our friends over at uh, Angel Park. I mean, you were over there. And from what I understood, I, I heard some some commentary that uh, you rolled in. I remember you said you were rolling a little bit late. You went right up to the yeah. tee. You teed up the ball. And immediately, boom, I heard you put one right down the middle about 320 yards. Is this true? You know, I, I'm not one to kind of pat myself on the back for that kind of a deal. But, yeah, that's pretty much what happened. I uh, I, I couldn't believe it because it was like a, a 385-yard hole. And, um, you know, our, our, my partner, Andy, who you set me up with, um, you know, kind of was trying to give me the lay of the land. And uh, I just I was going to hit one as hard as I can over that bunker. And I hit it really well. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I hit it well. But. We got up there, and I was like, where's my ball? I thought I hit it right down the middle of the fairway. And sure enough, I looked up ahead, and I said, there's a ball up there by the green. <laughs> and I said, that can't be mine. It's impossible. Uh, and sure enough, we drove up there. That was my ball. It was uh, Bridgestone, you know, uh, one of the new Bridgestone balls that I hadn't used it before. And I was like, damn, this ball is going to be in my bag a little bit more often. And uh, I think I had I think I had about forty yards to the pin, so you know do the math on that three. It was about 
you know, 320, 330, there somewhere there. Look at that. Uh, so, not bad. Not bad for a 56-year-old dude. Yeah, but let, let's be honest. If people don't know, I mean, this guy's probably like a five or six handicap, though, too, right? I mean, come on, man. So how did the round well, go? Yeah. What, what did you shoot? Uh, well, we didn't we didn't finish, so uh, we, we don't know. You got a DNF. And, and, and DNF. By the way, by the way uh, I'll put it this way. I made bogey on that hole that I was 40 yards out. <laughs> See, I was just going to say, now hole. tell me you got, a, you got a birdie. I mean, there's no doubt you got a birdie. No. I thought maybe even the chip in for the eagle. Come on, man. No, no, I, I was uh, the uh, the previous night caught up with me on the second shot, so it didn't didn't hit, didn't hit me on the first shot, hit me on the second shot. Yeah, so the previous oh. previous night, uh, you know, rolling in, it, we it's all about the blue ribbon. Uh, we roll by the barber shop, the chandelier bar, uh, the other bar, yeah. just uh, the the ambience, and uh, and who knows how many yeah. tables yeah. that you stopped at or whatever. I Parked mean, there, at a couple of blackjack tables, yeah. There you, know. there you go. So man. you're basically saying he was rolling in everywhere except for on the green, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, exactly. Thank you for that. There you go, my man. So, all right, hey, it was great having no, was you. Great. In all seriousness, great having you. We got to get you back here where you arrive a little bit earlier on the Friday, so we can get you, you know, on the show on that Friday as well, too. So there we go. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that for sure. Yeah, so we'll we'll, we'll definitely get you back here, and uh, yeah, don't be a stranger. Awesome, awesome time. Steve Berline with you. It's a great uh, uh, Vegas weekend. So you got to love it. Hey, let's uh, talk a little football here. Uh, real quick, uh, touch on two things. Mike Tomlin signs a three-year extension, 14 years in, in counting, only three head coaches in the last 52 years, as we know, with the Steelers, Chuck Knoll for 23, Bill Cowher for 15. <laughs> what is up with Pittsburgh? Is, is it just the Rooney family who they just you know love to stick with coaches? And actually, I don't know about you, Steve, but I love it. Because everyone always wants change. This is an anomaly. It used to be the norm way back in sports. Uh, but how do you feel about Mike Tomlin signing on for another three years? Because I, I love the tradition part of it and not just you know pulling a quick trigger. But there are a lot of questions how good a coach this guy is. Yeah, there definitely are questions about it. But, you know, he's got – uh, well, I guess one Super Bowl as a head coach, um, but he was part of both. Both have been Roethlisberger Super Bowls. Um, you know, I, I love what the Pittsburgh Steelers do as far as that. That To me, that is the number one sign of stability in an organization uh, to, to retain your head coaches. I mean, three head coaches um, going over how many years did you say? 52. That's amazing. And, uh, you know, th- th- there's a reason why they have won as many Super Bowls as they have and why they're as competitive as they are year in and year out. Uh, as a player, that is what all of us crave. We crave stability. We all want to be in that one perfect situation with a team that's committed to us. It's going to give us a chance to, to really learn and grow in the system and I think Pittsburgh has been a great example of that. And you can you can rip Mike Tomlin for some of the decisions that he's made in the past at key points and uh, how he's handled different situations. But I think Pittsburgh looks at it from the standpoint they say this guy has been a winner for uh, what ninety percent of his seasons as the head coach there in Pittsburgh, and uh, he's won a Super Bowl. They've been close a couple other times. Uh, how are you going to do better than that? How are you going to try to improve 
uh, the, the, the program as it is right now, uh, bringing in somebody new who's going to be a 50-50 proposition at best. Uh, this is an organization that believes in stability, and they've benefited from stability over the years, and they're not going to change anytime in the near future. I think it's the right call. When it comes to that as a player, how important is that type of stability here? Because we hear about teams all the time that it's like, well, you know, you give a coach too many chances and, you know, then the team starts falling apart. But at the same time, you certainly don't want that coaching carousel where as a quarterback, you know, you're playing for different coaches and different offensive coordinators and that every year or every other year, it's hard to get good and know exactly what the team identity is or anything else. So is, is the stability the right way to go or is it just an individual basis type thing? No, I think it is, in general, the right way to go. But it's got to be built over over time. It, it, it comes back to, uh, you know, you, you can tell a lot of times very early on if a head coach is going to be a, a good fit. Um, you know, I think what, what happens in, in a lot of situations, uh, you look at uh, some of these coaches that have had success maybe in their first five or six years, and then they have one or two average to poor seasons, teams make a change immediately. That, I believe, is where the mistake is made. Uh, you know, uh, you, you have to give a coach who's proven they can win a chance to work themselves out of it because players age, players get hurt, uh, you lose players. Uh, you know, all of a sudden the dynamics of a team changes. But if a coach has shown that they can win consistently, I think it's a mistake to give up on them after one or two bad years, and I think that's happening too often. Um, and I also do believe that some of these these uh, uh, organizations do hire unproven coaches before they're ready, uh, and that puts them in a situation where one or two years into it, they get exposed uh, for, for making a mistake and and giving an opportunity to a coach who just wasn't quite ready for it. Uh, I think you, you got to place a premium on coaches earning uh, the right to become a head coach in the NFL and maybe not taking as many, you know, blind shots in the dark trying to uh, hit the home run with just, you know, some guy that uh, is the new latest, greatest, um, uh, you know, offensive wonder or whatever it might be. I think you got to be more selective in how you make those decisions. Steve Berline joins us. Steve, real quick thoughts. When you see a fellow quarterback uh, retire, Alex Smith, 16 seasons. You played 17. He played 16. And, uh, again, you know, the injury that he had, uh, number one overall pick in, in 2005. And then, you know, his last six starts, he goes 5-1, and one, leading Washington to the playoffs. How do you think Alex Smith is going to be remembered? And give me your, your own personal thoughts. Well, I think people that, that are inside uh, the NFL and really know the way that he was respected and regarded before what he did this last, uh, this last uh, crowning achievement with his toughness and his comeback from one of the most devastating injuries in the history of the NFL. I think everybody believed uh, that Alex Smith was a proven winner uh, before he had that terrible injury. Uh, remember, he was one throw, one dropped pass away from going to the Super Bowl uh, the year before Colin Kaepernick, um, you know, took over and, and, and made his run with the 49ers. Uh, Alex Smith hit Lee Evans in the NFC Championship game in the back of the end zone. I'm not sure exactly what year that would have been. My years are running together. But if that ball is caught 
the Niners go to the Super Bowl, and Alex Smith is the quarterback. And uh, the next year, he had his concussion, and Colin Kaepernick came in, and that whole phenomena started. But um, uh, the bottom line is I think Alex Smith, everywhere he went in his career, was one of the most consistent, productive quarterbacks. Was he a little bit too close to the vest? Yeah, he probably was. I used to criticize him uh, sometimes in games, saying that he needs to take more chances, needs to trust himself a little bit more because he was so concerned about protecting the football. As we know, that is the most important quality in a quarterback is to protect the football. But if it gets to the point where that prevents you from taking chances when opportunities are there, then it becomes a little bit of a detriment. And I think Alex maybe erred a little bit too often on the side of being careful and protecting the football. But by the way, most coaches will never fault you for that. Uh, his productivity was unbelievable, a tremendous career. And boy, the way he finished it out, uh, coming back from that injury, which nobody ever thought he would be able to do, was truly amazing. And I, I think one of the best feel-good stories in, in NFL uh, in NFL history, really. So uh, I commend him, and uh, he's going out at the right time, too, I believe, uh, before something else bad could have happened to that leg. Steve Berline joins us. All right, Steve, let's talk a little draft, even though it's it's next week. But uh, I want to get your thoughts on the quarterback position because the talk is that this could actually be one of the best quarterback classes in a long time. I'm not sure I agree with that. Uh, some people are saying six could actually go in the first round. I don't know about that either. But, you know, the draft is always – you know, more interesting when you have some marquee quarterbacks. And, and we definitely do have that in this draft. Well, you have the potential for it. And, and uh, you know, as many people feel great about this class, there are many that, that have a lot of question marks about it because a lot of the guys are purely going to be drafted based on potential. Uh, they're not based on, um, you know, especially coming off of a, a crazy year this past year where guys like Trey Lance, um, uh, who, who I believe is going to be one of the most interesting um, quarterbacks uh, picked. He, he didn't get a play. He played one game this year. Um, and so there's a lot of question marks out there. I think uh, really a lot of talent. Uh, I think a couple guys may be a little bit overrated. The guy that I put in that category, I believe, is Mac Jones. I think he's a little bit of an overachiever. I think that, in my opinion, he's a guy that should be more – in the late first round, early second round, maybe even a little bit lower type of a uh, uh, draft uh, choice. Um, you know, guys like Zach Wilson, uh, who, who reminds me a lot of Joe Montana with his abilities and things like that. But what round was Joe Montana drafted in? He yeah. was drafted in the third round. <laughs> right. And so is Zach Wilson really uh, that quality of a quarterback where the Jets are going to invest in him with a number two pick in that draft or someone else? trading up maybe to get him in the top 10. Um, I like him a lot. Um, I think the only sure thing out there is Trevor Lawrence. And even Trevor Lawrence has a, a lot of room for improvement, a lot of things he needs to, to really fine-tune and work on and get the right kind of coaching and tutoring in terms of his mechanics and, and learning how to uh, make better decisions as far as throwing his body around, not, not taking unnecessary hits. Uh, but he's a guy that I think all believe is going to be a great pro um, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's obviously Justin Fields is a guy that, that's going to be uh, picked very highly, and a lot of people have very mixed opinions about it. I think he's going to be a tremendous pro. 
he's a dual threat guy that's proven he can uh, throw the ball from the pocket, make all the throws. I think he's got to work on his accuracy and work on his, uh, you know, his um, history of, of maybe going through one or two reads in his progression and tucking the ball and running. Uh, I think he needs to learn to get a little more patient in the pocket and, and, and wait for things to develop a little bit more. Uh, but, man, he proved to me in that Clemson game in the semifinals how tough he was. Toughness, I think, is a huge factor that is not talked about enough. And Justin Fields, I think, is is one tough cookie, and he's going to get a chance to prove himself. So, uh, you know, Trey Lance, like I said, I think is going to be a, a really good pro. I'm betting on him. Uh, but there's a lot of question marks about him as well out of North Dakota State. Um, you know, th- th- we could take this a lot of different ways. But I really think that a lot of these guys have a chance to be really good quarterbacks. But if history holds true, uh, usually other than a few, few really unique examples, only one or two quarterbacks from each class really emerge as being uh, special quarterbacks. When you hear about five or six quarterbacks in the first round, does that kind of raise a red flag a little bit that if you're a first-round pick – ownership is expecting the quarterback to play immediately and some of these guys do need more development time or do you just kind of trust the coaching staff to to do the right thing and even though if a guy's a first round pick you know you don't have to force him in there right away because it seems like when they're a first round pick the owners want him in there immediately well it depends on the situation and uh, you know, you can make all kinds of examples of where quarterbacks benefited from having a year to develop and learn. Uh, talk about Patrick Mahomes. You talk about Aaron Rodgers behind Brett Favre. You know, Mahomes is behind Alex Smith. Uh, the value of sitting and learning behind a quarterback like that that really uh, has proven themselves and knows how to prepare, uh, I think is immeasurable. I'm a big believer if you have the luxury of a veteran quarterback to show one of these first-round draft choices, even if it's just for half of a season. Uh, But I ideally would like to give him at least one full season uh, to learn and kind of get acclimated and learn how to be a professional. I think that's the way to go. Now, there are a lot of people that say throw them out there. They, They need to get out there and get those reps, get that experience. You can make cases both good and bad for those examples as well. So uh, it depends on the philosophy of the organization. It depends on whether they have the luxury of a veteran quarterback that can hold the fort down for a while or not. Uh, If it's a bad team that doesn't have an established quarterback, uh, you're going to find that that guy's going to get thrown out there like the Trevor Lawrence's of the world. Um, You know, they're, they're going to, they're going to put him out there and he's going to take his, take his lumps and, uh, hopefully he'll come out of it without anything major happening to him. You know, you hate having a situation like what Joe Burrow went through last year. Uh, he was making tremendous progress, having a great rookie season on a very average football team, and then he gets the, the terrible knee injury, which uh, we're all going to be very curious to see whether he can come back and be the same player uh, coming off of that injury. But uh, that's the worst-case scenario. You throw a guy out there, something bad like that happens, and then – You've got to worry about the long-term effect of that for the rest of his career. So one guy, Steve, you didn't mention, your alma mater, Ian Book from Notre Dame. He's going to be out there. Sam Ellinger, (laughs) another guy from Texas. What are your thoughts about Book? And you've been pretty critical about him when we were trying to handicap, you know, Notre Dame and the playoffs and that sort of thing. What do you think about Book in the NFL? You know, I really like Ian Book. I I just don't think that he is, um, at least at this point, he is not, going to be a 
successful, productive quarterback over time in the NFL. Uh, and I say that for a few reasons. Not, number one, he's more than smart enough. Um, you know, and he, and, he, and he knows how to play quarterback. Uh, but I don't think physically, even though he's a good athlete, good runner, I don't think he physically has developed or evolved enough as a passer to do all that's required out of an NFL quarterback. Uh, I don't think he uh, pushes the ball up the field uh, with, with any of the uh, top quarterbacks coming out this year. Uh, I think he got better as this year went along, but that's still not to the point where he has shown that he can push the ball up the field and make the throws that you need to make on a regular basis in the NFL. And the other thing, I think he gets a little bit distracted by uh, pressure. Um, uh, you hear people sometimes talking, and maybe fans or listeners don't understand what this means, but when a quarterback is dropping back in the pocket, he's got to be oblivious to the pressure. He's got to feel it. He's got to sense it, but he's got to keep his eyes down the field, and he's got to maneuver in the pocket and feel where those soft spots are by that extra time and then make the throws down the field. What Ian Book does, and you hear people talking about it, when he feels pressure, his eyes drop. So he misses opportunities to hit people down the field. What happens is he, he starts looking for where the pressure is coming from, and he tries to get out of the pocket and try to extend plays uh, when that really is not what the play called for at that time. And to be a successful NFL quarterback, you've got to be able to stand in the pocket and make throws as well as being able to extend plays with your athletic ability. But uh, I just don't think he's quite at that level. Now, he could evolve and progress, uh, but, but I, I think he's going to get a chance to be a backup. And, and uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen a year or two down the line or three or four years down the line. If he could stay relevant and stay in a number two position, uh, maybe he will get a chance to show if he can do it or not. And that's what I hope for him because he's a great kid, and I, I would love to see him get an opportunity. You know, Steve, I want to get your thoughts on something here because uh, we started out talking about Alex Smith, and, of course, when he was in college, he played for Urban Meyer. Then Urban went down to Florida, and he had a guy like Tim Tebow, and, of course, at Ohio State had some really good quarterbacks as well. There's a lot of people out there that say that one of the knocks on Urban Meyer in college was that he didn't prepare kids for the pros. Is that a college coach's job to get people NFL ready, or is his job strictly to try to get a quarterback to fit his system and try to win a national championship in college? Well, every core, every coach has a system, right? And uh, um, the way that that you measure success is is your success at whatever that level is. And Urban Meyer, there's no way anybody could ever argue with the success that he's had at the collegiate level. Uh, there has not been an impressive track record of, of quarterbacks that he's developed. Um, although he did uh, have uh, obviously uh, in, impact on. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, and I think Justin Fields might have been one of his recruits as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the the, the, the pattern of, of, of not being able to develop an NFL type of a quarterback uh, is without a doubt something he's got he's to prove wrong and, and, and incorrect. And uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to be his first uh, project. And, you know, I, I can't remember who the offensive coordinator is. Uh, I do remember noticing – that it is the guy that's got a significant track record in the NFL. Daryl uh, Bevel is uh, Urban yeah, Bevel, Myers, there you go. Yeah, offensive coordinator. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Daryl Bevel, yeah, and I think Daryl Bevel is a great guy to, uh, to kind of combine philosophies with Urban Meyer because that spread offense um, with the quarterback powers 
and and uh, that they ran with Tim Tebow and all that stuff. There's a place for it uh, as a package, but everybody knows in the NFL you got to be able to run the football and you got to be able to make plays from the pocket uh, down the field. That's the way you succeed in the NFL. Uh, there's a reason why Tom Brady has won six Super Bowls, and he's not a mobile guy. Uh, it, the history of the NFL shows that even though it's evolving and these, these more mobile quarterbacks are becoming at a premium, uh, you still have got to stand in the pocket and make throws up the field from the pocket, and you've got to be able to run the ball late in the season when you've got to, when you've got to, when you've got to get physical and control the line of scrimmage and win games in December and January, uh, you have to be able to run the football. And uh, that's not going to change anytime in the near future. There he is, Steve Berline. And video has just surfaced. We had cameras by the Las Vegas sign. And there it is, Steve Berline arriving into Las Vegas. Uh, there it is. There's the video and there's the music. You heard this while you were driving down Las Vegas Boulevard, didn't you? <laughs> You know what? I was wondering what it was for. I didn't realize it was actually, you know, blowing the horns for me. I, I, I didn't realize that. But thank you. There it is. You get the, the red carpet royal treatment. There's no doubt about it. And and, and uh, we talked about Ian Book, South Bend, Steve Berline. What had better ambience, the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas or the Linebacker Lounge? <laughs> Again, it depends on what you're looking for. There you go. Uh, <laughs> It depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for Notre Dame fanatics in a uh, in a, a semi unsanitary environment, uh, I would say go to the linebacker yeah. in. <laughs> All right, my man. Well, you know, yeah. seven seven is always a winner in Vegas. There you go. This is true. It is. is it? Yeah, seven's <laughs> always a winner in my book. Period. But but not on the first hole over your golf course, though. You don't want to hit a no, seven. No, you're right. There you go. That's right. That, no, no. Drive Sevens for sure. Not good for on the no. golf scorecard. <laughs> All right, brother. Hey, uh, be good. I know you're doing a lot of uh, draft stuff uh, with CBS. Uh, maybe we can uh, get you next week as uh, we get ready for the draft and uh, look a little deeper. Yeah. But I appreciate it, man. As always. Yeah, Phil Sims, uh, Phil Sims and I and Adam Shine are filming uh, a draft preview show tomorrow in New York for uh, CBS Sports Network. It'll be aired uh, over the weekend and throughout next week. So uh, it's a big quarterback feature. It's going to be. Uh, I don't know, some kind of draft preview show. I don't know what the actual title is, but uh, check it out you on got CBS Sports Network. It'll be good. All right, my man. Be safe. We'll talk to you later. And, again, great seeing this weekend. All right, guys. Thanks, TC. You, I appreciate all of it, man. You got it, brother. There he is, Steve Berline. All right, we come back. Hour number two, TJ Reeves is going to join us. we got VGK stuff to talk about and a whole lot more. TC Martin, Ballpark Frank on this Wednesday. Okay.